Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much that we can be here this morning. Lord, thank you for the communion that we have been able to celebrate. Lord, thank you for the songs we have sung of of your great love for us and your great faithfulness. Lord, as as we look at what you have sent down through the ages to us in the book of Mark. Lord, I pray that that you would be speaking this morning, that it would not be I but your words. Lord, I pray that you would open all of our hearts that we might receive your message. Amen. This morning we're looking at this whole question of faith and failure. And, and really how the two are tied together and, and where grace comes into the picture. Um, talking of failure, it reminds me of a, of a great book that my parents used to have. Uh, Stephen Pyle is the author. The book is called The Great Book of Heroic Failures. And it's basically true stories of people who have failed spectacularly. There's, there's one particular example uh, from the late 70s in England, a uh, bit, bit before my time, but I, I think there was some uh, interesting union action happening at that time in England. And uh, this particular year, 1978, the firefighters had gone on strike. And so the army had taken up the firefighting duties and, and they were rushing around putting out fires. And, and one day they got a phone call from a, a, a very old lady who was worried that her cat was stuck up a tree. And the army, being the army, is super organized. They got into their thing. They rushed across town. They arrived at her house. They put the ladder up. They climbed up. They got the cat. Wonderful, successful rescue. And this lady was so thrilled and, oh, wonderful, come in, have a cup of tea, have a cup of coffee, some scones. Sounds like, like a success. And it was. Until when they drove out, they rode over the cat. (laughs) This morning, we've already celebrated the Lord's Supper together. Red just led us in remembering what Jesus did for us on that cross, that very first Easter all those years ago. But in that first Easter, that that last Passover meal, that first supper. On that day, Jesus Himself led His disciples in remembering His cross. He was the host of the evening. He was the reason for the evening. Since last week, uh, we looked in verses 1 to 11, since then two days have gone by. Like last week, as we come to our passage today, Mark ushers us in to another meal with Jesus and his friends. We've seen a little bit in Reg's communion talk how how in verses 12 to 16, Jesus sent some blokes out to to go and prepare the meal for them. Uh, and, And this room provided by God, ready and decked out for them. And evening has come and And they are seated around the table. And in between the the more formal parts of a Passover meal, they're probably chatting to each other. 
You know, talking the way that mates talk when they're, they're gathered around some good, good food and good wine. And then Mark hits us with chapter 14, verse 18. While they were reclining at the table eating, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. One who is eating with me. So we've got everyone sitting around the table, talking away, and, and Jesus looks up, looks around the room. And, and if I imagine it, I can almost see a, a shadow of a tear glistening in his eye. What he's about to say is, is bearing down on him, this weight of knowing that one of his close friends is about to betray him. And as he looks at these mates, these confidence of the last three or so years, he says, yes, it's true. One of you will betray me. One of you sitting at the table with me. One of you at my Passover. One of you at my meal. In amongst the hodgepodge of cultures that make up my uh, family line, there's, there's Scottish blood. And as a child, somehow we're connected to the, to the Campbell clan. And as a child, I used to love hearing the story of the kind of things the Campbells did. Um, one particular famous occasion, the, came, the Campbells invited McDonald's around for a meal, um, which was very kind and all, and they got them down and, and they had some food together and everything was brilliant and they... As the McDonald's were there, looking elsewhere, chop, 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 Disappear the McDonald's. Killed. Invited them around, looked after them, fed them, killed them. I mean, the McDonald's clan and, and the, the Campbell clan had been uh, at loggerheads with each other for, for quite a long time, but the McDonald's had assumed that the Campbells would obey the, the law of decency that says you don't bite the hand that you're eating with. It's a gruesome story. I used to love it as a child. But you know, that's a similar situation to what we've got here in, in the upper room as Mark describes it. In Jewish culture, not surprisingly, most cultures, to betray somebody who had fed you was considered one of the most terrible, horrible horrendous crimes that anyone could ever do. And yet, says Mark, as we saw last week, this is exactly what Judas was planning to do. To sit at the table with Jesus, to eat his food, and then sell him out. I suppose it's not really surprising that, that Jesus' announcement in verse 18 puts a little bit of a dampener on the evening and, and one by one the disciples stand up and they, and, and, and they look to Jesus and, and, and slowly, uh, sadly, they look at Him and they say, 
Surely not I. And we're not talking a, surely not I, confident uh, tone in their voice. The, the way Mark records it, it's more like a, it's not me. It's not me, is it? Is it me? Could it be me? And Jesus' reply, it's one of you. It's the way it's going to be. That's the way God said it would be. You know, as, as Jesus and his disciples approached Easter, the disciples found themselves weighing what it meant to be a disciple. They found themselves weighing what Jesus meant to them, what Jesus meant for them, asking themselves, asking Jesus, how much do I really love you, Lord? And I truly believe that as Easter approaches for us now in 2010, we should be doing the same thing. I mean, yes, Jesus was in particular thinking about Judas, that first supper. <clears throat> but it's significant, isn't it, that, that Jesus raises the issue with everyone there. Because although Judas was the betrayer, it could so easily have been somebody else. And if I'm honest with myself, if, if we are honest with ourselves, what would we have answered Jesus if we were sitting around the table with Him? When Jesus looked at us with, you know, when He looks in your eyes and you just know that He knows you completely and He says, one of you is going to betray me. What would we find if we looked at our own lives? I mean, yes, Judas' situation is unique, but there are so many ways and so many times when we could betray our Lord. I betray Him when I hide the fact that I'm a Christian. When we go along with dragging His name through the mud. We betray Him when when what we want becomes more important than Him? That's the kind of question that can leave us lying awake at night saying, would I ever do that? Because if we're honest with ourselves, we all have Judas's ability to fall and fail. And yet... And yet, Jesus is not one of those people to leave us worried and, and lying awake at night, questioning our, our very human tendency to, to fall flat on our faces. I, I just love the order in which the Last Supper, the first Last Supper, happens. Jesus challenges us. He says, what do I mean to you? And then He says, comfort gets us examining our lives. And then he offers communion with him. He breaks the bread and he says, take me. Take all of me. Let me fill you. Because just like this bread, my body will be broken for you. 
and he takes the cup and he passed it around and everyone has a drink. And only when everyone is finished, verse 24, Jesus says, this is the blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. And if you're like me, you've heard those words a hundred thousand times before. But just try and put yourself in the Jewish shoes of that time. You've just drunk the stuff. And then Jesus says, my blood for you. For a Jew to even think of, of drinking blood was unthinkable. Because the life is in the blood. Says Jesus in effect to us, yeah, look at your life. Your ability to fail, but, but my person for you. My body for you. My life for you. When we question and we count what Jesus means for us, and Jesus turns around and says pretty much, this is what you mean to me. My life, my blood, my all. You sit there thinking, could I ever betray Him? And my cross is there to prove my faithfulness to you. And your failures, compared to my love and my body and my blood, and my faithfulness, it's chalk and cheese. So take me. That, that very first communion service, that, that last Passover meal, must have been such a bittersweet experience for the disciples. I mean, can you imagine the joy? The, the, I'd just have loved to have been there and sat in the table and, 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 and had Jesus share the elements with me. It's worth remembering. We've, we've remembered it again today. And yet there's also that, that reminder that we have a capacity to fail. And I think the reason we celebrate communion, the reason we remember Easter, is because we need to be reminded of what Jesus has done for us. And the reason we need to be reminded, may I suggest, is that by ourselves we are failures. We cannot stand by ourselves. We, we can't stand firm without Jesus there with us. I mean, take a look at, at what happens after the Passover meal, verse 27. Jesus says, you will all fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. And Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. They're on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus will be handed over. And Jesus puts it as bluntly as, as it can be put, you will all betray me. In the upper room it was, one of you is going to betray me. Here on the road to Gethsemane, it's all of you will fall away. Because when God strikes the shepherd, the sheep will scatter. When God hands Jesus over to death, 
the disciples would run for their lives. Or another way to put it, they would stumble. They would fall at the scandal of the cross. And when push came to shove, when the going got tough, the disciples got gone. They fell. And as we come to Easter and we are examining ourselves, isn't the same potential for falling in us? If I were there that night in in Gethsemane, I reckon I would have been the bloke running away with uh, nothing on. Um, Cloak got grabbed off. I, I, I would that I could stand there with Peter and say, I will never abandon you. But I would have. Because without Jesus, none of us has the strength to stand. Maybe that makes me sound weak and powerless and a bit of a wuss and a bit of a loser. And and to be honest, a part of me doesn't like that. A part of me doesn't like to be dependent on anyone else. A part of me, uh, I presume a part of you, wants to be able to stand up and say, I can make it on my own. I can look after myself. I can survive a few days without Jesus. Are you strong enough? Can you stand on your own strength? And what a wonderful promise that we have from Jesus here in verse 29. He says, The sheep will scatter, but I will meet you in Galilee. My resurrection is sure. I will gather my flock together again. And then we have my good mate Peter. Uh, being the only Peter he knows how to be, having the nerve to set Jesus straight. All of you will fall away. Ah, 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 hang on a tick, Jesus. Not all of us are going to fall away. Maybe those blokes, I don't know about John and the others, but, but me, I will go with you wherever. I am strong enough. I shall not fall away. I wonder if Peter really understood that he was really calling Jesus a false prophet when he says, Jesus, you got it wrong. There's that cockiness, that, that, that arrogance of Peter, that arrogance of humanity. Have you ever had a, a broken ankle or a sore ankle or something really bad and, and, and you get some crutches and you're able to, to walk along and, and after a while it gets so used to walking on the crutches that, that it feels like you can walk all by yourself. And so you throw away your crutches and you take one big step and you collapse onto the ground. The simple truth is that we cannot stand by ourselves.
when Jesus is struck, the sheep scatter. When we don't have God, we don't have strength. We don't have anything to counteract our failures. And I think that's one of the reasons why Jesus sent us the Holy Spirit. Because we need God in our lives. Without God in our lives, we are one unmitigated failure after another. And the good news is that one day when Jesus returns, we will stand before the throne of God. But we'll stand because God will have made us new and there will be no more sin to cripple us. No more tendency to failure. But until then, we cannot dare to say that we are strong enough without God. Zechariah, I think it's verse 13, sorry, chapter 13 says, not by might, not by power, but by God's Spirit. By the Spirit of Christ we can stand. We all have the potential to fail, but the good news of Easter is that our failure potential fades into insignificance in the light of Christ's love for us. I mean, Easter is all about the fact that we are failures. That when we try to go it alone, we fail. I mean, isn't that the good news as Paul sums it up? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And can I give you the really good news? We are on the wrong, we are on the right side of the cross. The disciples, when Jesus was struck, they scattered. They were without Jesus in their lives. As Jesus died, they, their failure was revealed. But because Jesus has died and rose and is with us today, we will never again be without God with us. We can stand because God is with us. Our failures are forgiven on that cross. His presence, His, His life-giving presence, His body, His blood 